Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we continue our study through Paul's letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, we begin chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13. Second Corinthians chapter six, from verse one to 13. Verse one says, "Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, "In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Our God, you promise that the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And so we recognize our need for light from you, for understanding that only you can give. And so we pray that you would help us to unfold your word, to open it up, to understand what it truly means, and to understand how to apply it in our time, in our lives, in this day. So we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have ever been punched in the gut. Maybe literally someone has punched you in the gut, or maybe metaphorically. We use that phrase like if you get fired from your job one day and then the next day you get in a bad car accident, you say it felt like a punch in the gut. 
Well, when you get punched in the gut, literally, physically, your first instinct is to keel over and put your arms around your gut. You can't breathe, maybe you fall to the ground, and you put your arms around yourself as a way to protect yourself. Whoever just punched you, you don't want them to punch you again or to kick you while you're laying on the floor. But imagine that someone has punched you in the gut a couple of times, maybe a week apart, and then that person is walking toward you. So as they are walking toward you, your first instinct is to turn back. It's to cover up. You're getting nervous that this person who has already punched you in the gut before is coming to punch you in the gut again. And so you cover up for protection. But what if that person was coming towards you and they get really close to you? And and you realize that they're not coming up to you to punch you. They're coming to give you a big hug. But you don't hug them Because you're afraid that they're actually coming to punch you. Well, Paul has, with the Corinthians, experienced relational punches in the gut. He's written about that in the first two chapters mainly, where he's talked about how there have been people who have questioned that he's an apostle, that he's too weak for that. They've questioned his motives, his honesty and integrity. Paul said he was going to come, and he didn't come, so he says one thing and does another. You can't trust Paul. So people started accusing Paul of things like this, and Paul tried to reconcile. He even made a painful visit, but in that painful visit, uh, things got even worse for him. Apparently, some people publicly attacked him when he was there in Corinth trying to reconcile. He also wrote what he calls a painful letter. So a letter that he wrote before 2 Corinthians, letter in tears, trying to reconcile. And apparently so far, none of this has worked. Multiple times, all he has done, all all that has happened to him as a result of him trying to reconcile is that they just keep punching him in the gut. Imagine you go to try to fix things and all it does is give people more opportunity to stand up and attack you. How is that going to make you feel? And so this is what the Corinthians have done to him. But Paul's response that we see in this passage is not self-protection. It's not to guard his gut. But instead, Paul says that he is going to open wide his arms. He is going to try one more time to be reconciled to the Corinthians. Because he doesn't want to live in that self-protection of fearing that if they actually do want to reconcile this one more time, this last time when he writes 2 Corinthians, he doesn't want for them to be open to it, but for him to cover up because he's just been hurt too many times. And so this is the main point that we see here in this passage is Paul saying, my heart is wide open to you. 
metaphorically, it's that my arms are wide open too. I want to be reconciled because I'm not going to protect my heart from getting hurt again by you. I'm going to open it to you. And I'm risking, because we don't know what's going to happen. I'm risking that you're going to attack me again. But I'm taking the risk because I love you. And so this is what we need to learn for ourselves in our lives. uh, That in certain relationships, that we need to open up our hearts, be willing to reconcile, make efforts for that, and not close ourselves up when reconciliation is called for. This is what many of us do, is we do close ourselves up. There have been women who say, I don't want any relationship with a man ever again in my life because my dad hurt me, all my boyfriends hurt me, my husband hurt me, so I'm done with men. Well, that's okay. And in that case, you don't have to have another marriage. There's nothing that says you have to, but in other relationships, we can't close ourselves off. Many times in our family, I mean, there are certain extent where, where you might not, might not be possible to, to reconcile. But for the most part, with our children, we are called, we still love our children. We want to have a relationship with them. We still love our parents. We still love our siblings. And so we need to open ourselves up to reconciliation. And then when it comes to the church which is really the context of what Paul is talking about here. It's him and a church. Uh, There are lots of people who say, that church hurt me. Every church I've ever been a part of has just had people who hurt me. And so I'm done with church. So they say, well, I'm just going to go sit at home. I'll read my Bible. We'll have my family church, but I'm not going to be involved with the church. Or they say, I'll go to church, I'll show up when I want, but I'm not going to be a church member because church membership is painful in my experience. So we're done. Well, that's a situation where if you are a Christian, you don't have a choice. We are called as Christians to be part of a church. We are called in obedience to Christ to be members of a church. You will get hurt. You will be disappointed by people in the church. And so we need to figure out a way that our hearts can be open to others and not closing ourselves off all the time from relationships because we want to protect ourselves. So this is what our passage helps us to see. Let's begin looking at these verses. Uh, You can break it up into three parts. In the first part, Paul makes a plea to them for acceptance. He's pleading that they will accept him. Let's think about the context a little bit of of this chapter, since we're really beginning a new part of the letter. Uh, As I said, in the first two chapters, he's kind of uh, outlining the problem and why he's writing the letter and the story, the drama that has happened so far. In chapter 3, then, he started to defend himself and his ministry, as he's a minister of the Spirit in the New Covenant. And then in chapter 4 and 5, he started to talk about how he, he himself was, was weak. He's like a jar of clay. And the people were accusing him of that being a bad thing. He says, it's a good thing. 
because the spirit works through jars of clay. And so chapter 5, as he started, was talking about his body decaying and he's dying, and yet how he can be used by God. And that reminds him then that he's going to appear before God when he dies. And so he needs to live a life thinking about the fact that he needs to please God, live in the fear of God, because he will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So what is that life? It is to be an ambassador for Christ. It's to live for Christ. Why do you live for Christ? Because of what Christ has done. He has died and he's risen from the dead. And then we saw last week at the end of chapter 5, here's the main thing that Christ has done to save people, is that he became sin. He took on the penalty, the wrath of God for sinners. And so Paul, as he's talking about what Christ has done, he's appealing to them to be reconciled to God. And so then we get to chapter 6. And chapter 6 and 7 are going to be the appeal to be reconciled to him. But the beginning of chapter 6, the first two verses, are like the transition. Where he's telling them to be reconciled to God. But by being reconciled to God, they are accepting his message. And so they're opening themselves to reconciliation by accepting his message. He's the ambassador. And so by accepting the, the, the message of the king, they're also accepting the ambassador. So we have this kind of transition in the first two verses. So let's see what he says again. Working together with him. So again, this is Paul working with God. Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So to accept God's message is to accept him because he's working with God. So here's the appeal Paul gives them. Again, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive it as emptiness. Don't walk away having heard the message from the ambassador. Don't walk away empty-handed. Maybe you've heard people say that, that people don't appreciate things that are given to them for free. And that they will more appreciate something if it costs them something. Even if it costs a dollar or two dollars. I have been to many conferences and conventions and churches and people always want to hand you free stuff. Uh, and they want to give you something like a, a free mug. And so they give me this mug, and, and, and I don't want another free mug. I, I don't need another mug with another church logo on it. If I want your mug, I'll pay money for your mug. And so what, what do I do when I get a free mug? Throw it in the trash. It goes in the trash. Now, I might... Uh, take that mug and use it for a, a day. I might use it for a couple weeks. But eventually, that free mug gets thrown in the trash. Paul says, this is what it means to receive the grace of God in vain. You hear about the grace of God, and you think it's cheap, 
and you don't need it and you just throw it away. You might throw it away that day. You might seem to accept it for a couple of weeks, but then you throw it away. You might seem to accept it for a couple of years, but eventually you throw it away. That's what it means to receive the grace of God in vain. It's like the parable that Jesus told about the soils. There were two kinds of soil where a plant seemed to be growing up. One plant grows up, but then the sun comes out and starts to scorch the plant, and the plant dies. That's someone who initially receives the gospel, it seems, but then it's in vain. Because the trials, the difficulties of life kill your relationship with God. And then the other soil is when a, when a plant grows up, but then it starts to get choked out by weeds. They receive the grace of God in vain. The weeds are the, the world. It's entertainment and distractions. So you seem to be following Christ, but then the pleasures of the world overtake your heart. And you've just received the grace of God in vain. Paul says, don't do that. If you hear the grace of God, yes, you should count the cost. Realize how expensive it is that there will be trials and that the world will try to pull you away. But you need to persevere and hold on to Christ through all of these things. Don't receive in vain. But then he even gives us this motivation to do this now in verse 2. He says, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. As Paul has proclaimed to them that Jesus Christ knew no sin, and yet he became sin, he took on himself the wrath of God in the place of sinners so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. God can consider us as fully clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And Paul has appealed to them to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you need to make sure that you are reconciled to God through Christ. As this letter was going to be read out loud in public in the church, Paul is saying, don't walk out of this church building or this house or wherever they are. Don't leave without receiving the grace of God for yourself. He's quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8, which is God speaking to the servant, the Messiah. How the Messiah was struggling and suffering, and he calls out to God, the Father, for help. And the Father says, now I am going to help you because this is the day of salvation. Probably is referring to Jesus and the last days of his life. And how he says, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father comes with the Spirit and helps Jesus to endure the cross. Because this is the day of salvation. Jesus can't turn back. And Paul is using this verse to say, in Christ, 
God can make this the day of salvation for you. So this is the message for us here. For you kids, God says, you don't have to wait to be 18 to be saved. Today can be the day of your salvation. And you don't know what will happen when you're 18. You don't even know if you will be here when you're 18. Now is the time when you need to be reconciled to God. So what God says to you if you're visiting here. You don't know what's going to happen to you next week. You don't know what church you'll be at next week. Who knows if you'll hear the gospel at another church next week. Not every church preaches the gospel every Sunday. But today, you're here and you have heard the gospel. Now is the day for your salvation. Maybe you've been coming here for a long time. And you have been thinking about the cost. This is really going to be expensive to follow Jesus. I'm not sure if I should jump in, if it's really worth it. God says, stop putting it off. You don't know what the next day is going to bring. Now, this day, this is the day to follow Christ and be reconciled to God. So, is this the day of salvation for you? Robert Trail, old pastor in Scotland, he says, This will be the greatest aggravation for those who are in hell. Is remembering that they had a day when God's grace was offered to them. And yet they rejected God's offer. You have heard the offer of God to be reconciled to him. Do not let it aggravate you for eternity. That today was the day of salvation for you. And you rejected the offer. So Paul pleads with them, accept the grace of God, and by doing that, you accept me as an apostle sent by God. Well, then from there, Paul appeals to their conscience in verses 3 to 10. He wants them to know in their conscience that he really loves them and that he's a true apostle. Verses 3 to 10 are are basically his defense again of who he is. And he says there in verse 4 that he is commending himself. We commend ourselves. He, He wants to help them to understand that he really is an apostle. If you have a good memory, you might remember that at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul said, I shouldn't have to commend myself. You are my letter of recommendation, he said. So why is he commending himself now when he said earlier he wasn't going to? Well, because this is the way that he can be reconciled to them. He is trying to get them to see that he really wants it. 
and that he really loves them. And so even though he absolutely does not have to say anything to prove why he's a real apostle, he's going to say it anyways. Because this is what it takes to be reconciled. Have you heard of people who say, I don't have to say that I love them. Why do I have to tell you I love you? I've told you a hundred times I love you. Don't make me tell you one more time. Well, you want to be reconciled? Just get over your stubbornness. Tell them that you love them. People say, I shouldn't have to apologize again. I apologized once and that's enough. Okay. Well, technically, you're probably right. It's once is probably enough. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to fix the relationship? Sometimes just to fix the relationship, you do have to say the words that you've already said. And maybe you said it ten times already. Maybe you've already tried the meeting together. But maybe you just have to meet one more time. And get over your stubbornness. Humble yourself again. Because sometimes that's what it takes to show someone that you really want to be reconciled. And so that's what Paul's doing. Instead of being proud, oh, I I'm, shouldn't have to say all this again, he's just going to say it. I want you guys to accept me. Here's why you should accept me. So the key to understanding the, the list that we're going to look at, verses 3 to 10, is verse 3. He says that I put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. So this whole list is showing you cannot find fault with my ministry, Paul's saying. Now, obviously, he's in this conflict. The Corinthians do find fault with his ministry. There's plenty that they've been criticizing him about. So this isn't about the fact that people can't say bad things about you. People can't misinterpret things. Of course they can. But what he's saying is that in the eyes of God, I have a clean conscience. There is no fault to be found. I've behaved myself in a godly way in the sight of God. All the criticisms that people have of him, they are outward criticisms. Chapter 5, verse 12, they boast about outward appearance, but not what is in the heart. Paul's weak, Paul's old, Paul's suffering, Paul's dying. He can't be an apostle. Those are all outward things. They're not about what is in the heart. But Paul says, you cannot find fault with my ministry. So as we experience these kinds of things, we want to live these kind, this kind of life where we can say, I have lived with integrity. I have sought to please God. People will misunderstand you. People will mistreat you. People will be unfair to you. All that you can do is live this life. All that you can control is your speech, your heart, your patience, your kindness. 
And then you can say, I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't start this. I'm not trying to cause problems here. Maybe you misunderstood something I said. Maybe I did something that, that hurt you. But I can honestly tell you that I was trying to be patient. I'm trying to be kind. This is the life that I'm living. And that's a lot easier to fix relationships. As opposed to you sinning in response to their sin. So this is the kind of life we want to live. Well, let's look at his list, uh, starting in verse 4. He says, He lived by great endurance, afflictions, hardships, and calamities. Those are four broad, general categories, basically saying that he's lived a hard life. Then, in verse 5, he gives three specific hardships that were done to him. Beatings, imprisonments, and riots. So those were done to him. Then he gives three uh, that he himself did. Labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. So those are, those are the hardships that were done to him and that he also lived out by his own choice, were the labors, sleeplessness, and hunger. So you can imagine Paul trying to get to the ship that sailing for Ephesus, and it's, it's going out the next day. And so he has to get on the ship. He's going to walk all night to make it to that ship so that he can go visit the church in Ephesus. And if he runs out of money, he runs out of money. If he, if he doesn't have any food, oh well, he's going to go hungry because he's got to make it to that ship. He doesn't have time to stop and make a tent and sell a tent when there are problems in Ephesus that he needs to get to. And so Paul, by his own choice, as in, as in his ministry, he is going to go without sleep, and he's going to go hungry. He's going to work hard to serve Christ in the gospel. So those are his hardships. But then he talks about how he handles those hardships. Verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. How does he handle these things? Godliness, integrity, and he does this by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. These weapons are probably the, the armor of God that he talks about in Ephesians 6, the spiritual armor for the right hand, which is the attacking, the sword. The left hand, which is the defending. So, Corinthians, you're, you're attacking me. Well, I, I defend myself with the shield of faith. Because I know that this is Satan trying to get me to not be patient with you. To not be kind to you. So I'm going to defend myself from the attacks of Satan. By the power of God that he gives me. And then I'm going to keep attacking with the sword of the word of God. I'm not going to let these attacks stop me from doing what God calls me to do. I, I have this ministry. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep preaching. And as I pray and preach and as I defend myself with faith, the power of God works through me. 
so that I live in purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, love, truth. So he lives this way. And then he gives nine pairs, nine contrasts, starting in verse 8. Notice that the first two are different things that people say about him. Honor and dishonor. Slander and praise. He uses the word through for the first two. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. People, at the same time, there are those who honor Paul. There are those who dishonor Paul. Some di- sometimes it, it's just a different day, but it's the same person. That person thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread one day. And the next day, I'm their worst enemy. I'm the worst person to walk this earth. Honor and dishonor. Slander, bad reports, and praise, good reports. How can it be that the same person, Paul, Paul himself, some people have horrible things to say about him, and some people have glowing reports about him because this is the this is the world this is what life is like people will slander you and then others will praise you but then the next seven pairs are a contrast between what people say and what god says notice that we're treated in verse eight we are treated as imposters Am I an imposter? No, I'm true. I'm true in the eyes of God, a real apostle. I'm treated as unknown. People think I'm not a good apostle because I'm not famous. And yet I am well known by God. People look at me and they see that I'm dying, but behold, I live. Because God is renewing the inner man day by day. People look at me and they see that I'm getting punished, so I I can't be a good apostle. But yet, God is the one who sustains me from being killed. People look at me and say, he's a sad man. He's sorrowful because of all these hard things he has in his life. And yet, I'm always rejoicing because I have hope in Christ. They look at me and they see me poor. I am poor. But I make many rich preaching the gospel makes many rich and that's what god values as having nothing they say but people don't realize i possess everything i have christ so can you say that you live this kind of life Obviously, you're not going to face all the kinds of things Paul did. You know, it's not a badge of honor for you to have sleepless nights. You're not necessarily traveling around preaching the gospel. But can you live the life of this kind of character? Can you live a life that is like sorrowful and always rejoicing? That as people see you experiencing hardships and difficulties, they can see in you that you have joy 
in Christ, that your hope is looking towards heaven? When you experience fiery trials, God's grace is your all-sufficient supply. This is the kind of life we're to live, a life of godliness even through difficulties. And we can appeal to the conscience because of that life. Well, then we get to the last part when Paul pleads for them to be reconciled to him. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So, he says, we have spoken freely to you. Literally, our mouth is wide open to you. And so he's, he's painting a picture that, that the fact that my mouth is open to you shows you my heart is wide open to you. My mouth is open and speaking freely to you. All the things that I've said to you are because I love you. And so, yes, I'm going to tell you where you're wrong. I'm going to confront your sin. I love you. And so I speak freely to you. And I'm going to tell you how much I want to be reconciled with you. My heart, he says, is wide open. You're the ones restricted in your own affections. When he says in verse 13, I'm speaking as to children, he doesn't mean you're babies, so I have to talk in baby talk. He means, I speak to you as if you are my children. I am your father and I love you. And so a real father who has children attack him and say, I don't love you. A real father is still going to open his arms and say, I, I really love you. I want to have a relationship with you. So Paul is saying, as a father to a child, I open my heart to you. And so I'm asking you to be reconciled to me. Open your hearts also. So this is what reconciliation is. It's a relationship. Love for one another. We shouldn't confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. A thief can break into your house. And you should forgive the thief. But that doesn't mean you need to have a relationship with that thief. You don't need to become best friends with the thief who breaks into your house. God does forgive us of our sins in Christ. Theoretically, he wouldn't have to enter into this relationship with us, but he desires that. He does want a relationship of love and friendship with us. Paul has no desire to reconcile with the false apostles. I'm sure he wants them to change, but you don't see anything in this letter about being buds with the false apostles. No, he get them out of here. I don't need to talk to them. I love you. You're my church. And so I want to be reconciled to you because I love you. So forgiveness is not quite the same as reconciliation. There are times 
And the specifics of this it gets really complicated, but there are times, like if someone is abusive, that you should forgive them, but you don't have to keep having a relationship with them. And the problem is when the abuser will use that against you. They will, they will say, you need to forgive me, and if you're going to leave me, that just shows that you're not forgiving me. Because Jesus says, forgive over and over and over again, which means I get to abuse you over and over and over again. It's a weapon that they use. And it's wrong. You should forgive. But you don't always have to reconcile. But when and how is really complicated. Because there are relationships where we should desire to open our hearts to people, even who hurt us, to not cover ourselves up again. Paul loves the Corinthians. He loves his church. And so especially in the case of the church, there are many situations in which we should seek after and pray for reconciliation. Open your heart, even when they have punched you multiple times. It's risky for Paul. As he opens his arms, they could come and punch him again. Reconciliation is not a one-way thing. It's, it's a two-way thing. That's why he's appealing to them. But you do your part. You open your heart. You open your arms. And ask them to do the same. So in the church, as I said at the beginning... Understand that people will hurt you. They will disappoint you. They will let you down. People think that when they join the church, it's just peace and harmony, and it's always going to be it's like being at the promised land. Like we're in heaven. We're not in heaven. Even the, even the best churches will have People disappoint you. People sin against you. Are you willing to have the attitude of Paul of widening your heart to them? So what about you? If you've been punched in the gut, are you living this life that Paul describes in verses 4 to 10? Are you willing to open your heart Well, this is hard to do. We need the power of God. We need his grace. Let's pray for God's help. Our God, we thank you for your infinite grace for what you have done in reconciling us to yourself through Jesus Christ we pray that we here would not receive your grace in vain and we pray also for your power power to live lives of godliness and genuine love We are 
weak in ourselves and still battling sin. We need your grace. Lord, we pray that you would help us to widen our hearts to love. May we be imitators of you. Just as you, Lord, in Christ forgive us, may we forgive others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.